trainer. This podcast provides our listeners with an opportunity to learn more about the Mount, our alumni, and how we live significantly. We're very excited for what is coming up next to live significantly and can't wait to offer you an inside look into the Mount. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce President Tim Trainer. Hello, and welcome to Mount St. Mary's University podcast, Live Significantly with President Tim Trainer. I'm very pleased to serve as the president of the Mount, and on this episode, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome Griffin Rucker to the Live Significantly podcast. Griffin is an assistant professor and the director of our Applied Behavior Analysis Program. Griffin, you came to the Mount to teach in the ABA program. For those listeners not familiar with Applied Behavior Analysis, please tell us about this program. And what are some of the examples, what are some examples of what graduates would do upon completion of the degree? Well, thanks first for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about my work and our program at the Mount. Uh, behavior analysis is the science of behavior, um, and applied behavior analysis is the application of that science to problems of social significance. Um, so basically, we measure human behavior and we assess the environment that supports that behavior. Um, and, and my background specifically is in the assessment and treatment of severe problem behavior amongst individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, that is, individuals. Uh, you know, who engage in things like self-interest behavior or who are aggressive or disruptive to the environment. Um, you know, as a behavior analyst, you have the opportunity to improve the lives of individuals in your community. And, and behavior analysts tend to go on to do jobs such as working with individuals in intellectual and developmental disabilities in schools, hospitals, clinics, uh, but also things like working with substance abusers on trying to uh, support them and to prevent relapse. Uh, and, you know, and have very diverse careers, too. So some people would even go on to things like organizational behavioral management, where they're helping make better and more productive workplaces. There's a wide variety of things that people go on to do uh, when they study, the, study human behavior. So, Griffin, how did you get started working in behavior analysis, and why did you choose to get into this field? Yeah, so my background's a little bit interesting. Um, I got a degree in religion and sociology from Emory University, and I was planning on being Indiana Jones. Um, that didn't uh, that didn't go quite the way I wanted it to. But um, when I found myself, you know, postgraduate and, and unsure what to do for a career, I really decided what. Well, if I didn't know what I was doing, at least I could be helping some people, right? And that led me to working with individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, you know, for those who are not familiar, I keep using that phrase, intellectual and developmental disabilities. You know, those are things like autism, uh, Down syndrome, those types of disorders. Um, you know, and, and I figured at least I could be helping some people in doing that. Um, and, and I took a job at a residential facility uh, working with individuals who who had those uh, disorders, and uh, I ended up contacting behavior analysis and um, seeing it, how powerful it really was. Um, you know, working with those individuals really um, uh, showed me that we could use behavior analysis to make people's lives better, um, and that was an incredible, incredibly powerful experience and really set me on the path that I'm on. Well, Griffin, I could see you being Indiana Jones, but <laughs> I'm glad you chose this path. <laughs> What type of undergraduate degree or work experience does someone need to be successful in this area? Yeah, the, the typical um, undergraduate degree for somebody that goes into a behavior analysis program is usually uh, psychology or education. 
Um, you know, but I think my um, career path also demonstrates that those aren't necessarily the requirements. Um, really, what's important is that, you know, you, you have a desire to help other people um, and you care about individuals in your community. Um, and if you have that and uh, some undergraduate degree, you should you know, definitely look into our graduate programs. You have an impressive array uh, and variety of college experiences. Would you please share more about where you studied and these experiences? Sure. <clears throat> so while I was uh, working at that residential facility, uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, and saw how powerful applied behavior analysis could be. Um, you know, I, I, I decided at that point that, you know, while it was great to help individuals one-on-one, um, that changing one person's life was really great. You know, what was even better would be to change a lot of people, a lot of people's lives to make a lot of people's lives better. Right. Um, and so that's sort of what led me into higher education. Um, you know, first I studied at, um, uh, Northeastern University in Boston, um, you know, and then decided to go on and get my PhD from the University of Florida. Um, and, and in that, I saw that, you know, there were sort of two sides to getting a higher, uh, higher degree. And one was the sort of research side where you could, you know, uh, come up with clinical care procedures or improve clinical care procedures that would really uh, impact lots of people. Uh, those procedures could then be used and impact the lives of a lot of people. And the other was in training, um, you know, in, in teaching and passing along the knowledge I had to individuals, uh, I was able to impact uh, the larger community uh, because those people then could go out and also do those things. Um, and, and in my graduate work at the University of Florida, I studied with Brian Awada, who's a worldwide expert in self-injurious behavior. And so self-injurious behavior, for those people who don't know, uh, is behavior where individuals harm themselves. So that might be something like, banging your head off the wall or biting yourself uh, over your body. And it's a really devastating behavior. It's devastating on a lot of levels. Uh, on the one hand, it's, um, you know, obviously dangerous to the person who engages in it. Um, you know, if you bang your head off the wall, there's a potential you could dislodge your retina, you could cause blindness. And that's, that's, that's terrible, right? That's a terrible thing to have happen. Um, you know, but it's also devastating for the people that have to observe it. Uh, you know, especially parents, right? So seeing your child engage in behavior where they're harming themselves um, is is really upsetting um, and, and really bothersome and, and, and really disturbing. Uh, and, you know, and then, and then also there's a larger sort of societal cost to these behaviors as well uh, in the sense that uh, our our society isn't really set up well to handle those types of behaviors occurring in classrooms or in the community. And so it also limits the environments in which those individuals can actually participate. Um, and so, so for the past 10 years, I've been at Johns Hopkins doing research uh, on self-interest behavior, um, you know, because I think it's a very important thing to study. Um, you know, and in doing that, I was, you know, uh, as you mentioned, uh, funded by a couple of NIH grants. Um, and, and throughout that time, although I was doing that research, and I think that research is important, I also looked for opportunities to uh, teach and mentor students as well, because uh, I think that's really important as well. And so I'd like to pick up on that, the teaching part some more, uh, Griffin. You have su uh, substantial experience working and mentoring ABA students, including lecturing for ABA programs at Pepperdine University and the University of Florida, Florida, and mentoring students at Simmons College and the University of Maryland. Please tell us about your passion for educating students. Yeah, for sure. So I, I, I think that education is one means to bring about a more just, more compassionate world. And that's why I'm extremely motivated to train individuals in applied behavior analysis. And I've, had, I've been lucky to have the opportunity to work with a number of talented and very intelligent students um, through the, the, my variety of backgrounds. 
And I think there are, there are a few values that really guide my mentoring. Um, one of them, I think, is servant leadership, this idea that what we're doing is in the service of that person we're mentoring. So really, it's important to know where the person's from, where they are now, and where they're going so that we can sort of figure out what are their goals and how do we help ch- them achieve their goals um, and what skills are important for them now and for their future career. Um, and then I also think that, um, you know, with that information, we then can come up with mentoring that is better tailored to what they need. So, for example, if the student is interested in becoming a researcher, it's more important for me to get them involved in things like going to local conferences and, uh, you know, applying for graduate school grants. Uh, whereas if the person is, you know, uh, trying to balance, figure out how to balance their life and their schoolwork and their family, right, it's important for me. And I think that's the second value that really guides my mentorship, that finding that balance. It's important for me to mentor them so that they can figure out what are the things that are essential? What are the things that they have to do in, the, in everyday life to be successful in reaching their goals? Um, and, and in that, I think that it's uh, uh, also important to recognize that we need to be able to, to hear the student's voice. Um, so we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, and, and part of that, right, is this idea that uh, not only are all people valued, but also their perspectives and their voices are heard within the context of mentoring. Um, so I think that also is an important value toward my mentoring And I would say that, you know, with my mentoring, it's important for me to recognize that I'm not always necessarily the best mentor for somebody. Um, So people coming in, they're looking for different things in terms of their goals. They may have different backgrounds uh, where uh, particular mentoring might be more valuable to them than my own mentoring. And uh, it's my job to recognize that within my mentoring. And that's one of the reasons that, um, you know, I've recruited a diverse set of um, faculty with a diverse set of experiences into our ABA program. Um, So, as I mentioned, my background is intellectual and developmental disabilities, severe problem behavior. My last job was working 10 10 years in a hospital, right? So that's not the experience that everybody's going to want, right? We have a lot of individuals who may want to work in the public schools, for example, um, who are maybe interested in working with uh, larger organizations um, and are not necessarily interested simply in intellectual and developmental disabilities. And so really what we've done in putting together our faculty that are going to teach in our program is we have this diverse set of experiences. Experiences, starting with um, you know somebody who's got very basic experience working with uh, rats who's already at the mount, uh, and then adjunct professors who have experience actually working in schools and have uh, experience supporting larger institutions. So that when the student comes to us and they're looking for mentoring, there's really always someone they can find who's on that continuum of professors uh, and can you know really provide the mentoring that's valuable to them and leads them to the goal that they want to achieve. Super. It's fascinating. Thank you, Griffin. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The team behind our team is our dedicated Mount fans. Please visit mountathletics.com to check the schedules of your favorite teams and to learn more about our great student-athletes. Go Mount! Welcome back. Griffin, with all the experience and education you have, what about the Mount and the School of natural sciences and mathematics stands out over other programs you've worked with? Yeah, I think this is a really excellent question. Um, so there's a number of reasons I was attracted to the Mount and starting a program at the, the Mount. And, and a lot of those have to do, I think, with shared values between the university, uh, myself, and I think where this program would go. Um, you know, the first is this idea that we're going to produce leaders who live lives of significance. So, I mean, 
serving the underserved, which is, you know, sort of what I've been uh, working at for the past 20 years or so is really, um, I think, uh, something that leads to a significant life. Um, and uh, that's really harmonious with both the field of applied behavior analysis. It's harmonious with my values and it's something that the Mount really believes in. So that's something I think that really attracted me to this position. Um, I also think that living compassionately is very important, um, and I'm grateful to be in an environment where I think a lot of my colleagues share that perspective as well. Um, and then, you know, this idea that we can use higher education to create a more just and compassionate world, I think, is one that also squares nicely with the university's values and with the department's values as well. Um, and then on a more personal note, I think I would... Uh, I would note that, um, you know, coming from Johns Hopkins, which is a particularly competitive academic environment, it was very nice to come to the Mount where everybody in the community was uh, so welcoming um, and so happy just to come by and say, how's it going, you know, and, uh, you know, check in and those sorts of things. So that sort of like community level interaction, especially in the middle of a pandemic, right, um, is something that I think uh, has been extremely valuable and has made me uh, very happy that uh, I, I've come to the Mount to, to, to work on this program. Griffin, you have a strong passion for educating the importance of behavior analysis as a therapy, specifically for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Why is this so important? Yeah, uh, so, so individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, as we mentioned, things such as autism, Down syndrome, have deficits in adaptive and uh, intellectual behavior. So they're things such as communication. Um, and, and, and we know that standard means of education are usually not sufficient for these individuals. That is, these individuals don't do well in school, uh, generally fail. And the collateral effect of this is these individuals can't live up to whatever their full potential might be. Um, and, and, and the downside of that, of course, is that they're denied sort of the basic things that you and I take for granted, things like close familial relationships, things like being able to get a job, things like being able to decide what you want to do with your life, right? Um, you know, those are the things that uh, they're not able to uh, accomplish because of this diminished ability. Uh, and so uh, behavior analysis has a strong track record of being a means to educate these individuals and find ways to educate these individuals and help them live up to their full potential. So that's one reason I think ABA is so important with these individuals. Another is that a subset of them engage in severe problem behavior, right? So we've been talking about self-interest behavior, um, but there's also repetitive behavior um, or things that are simply interrupting or distracting or not letting these individuals live their full life or participate completely in the community. Um, and so uh, applied behavior analysis is also an effective means to reduce those behaviors and allow these individuals access to the community's environments that let them live their fullest life. Um, and in fact, ABA is so well supported that the state of Maryland requires that um, insurance companies provide coverage for individuals with autism um, through ABA services, right, which demonstrates sort of like this is a technology that we know works um, and is effective and is important. Um, and and, and Part of, part of the uh, outcome of that is there's a real strong demand for behavior analysts in the state of Maryland. There's lots of individuals who are going underserved at this point who, who, who uh, you know, could, could be served. And so it's important that we train lots of individuals to go out there and really help these individuals as well. You can think about the parent who has a child uh, who engages in problem behavior in Emmitsburg, right? Um, they're going to have to travel 30 to 45 minutes just to find somebody who could help them with that problem, Right. Um, and if the behavior is particularly severe, then it's like, well, you know, we can't even really travel 30 to 45 minutes because a car ride is impossible. Um, you know, and so 
given all of that, it's really important that we train up more uh, specialists in this area. Um, and I think that's why this program starting at the Mount is, is a really, is, is, it's really going to be very successful. During your 20 years in the field, you've worked with many individuals uh, that express severe forms of problem behavior. You've worked with them in schools, their homes, hospitals, and even secured federal funding to support the research. Tell us more about how this type of research and studies is so important for parenting, classroom management, and on a community level. Yeah, uh, so my background, as I mentioned, is in research with intellectual and developmental disabilities, but you know, the, the thing we're talking about here is the fundamental uh, science of behavior, right? The, um, you know, we're talking about uh, these principles that, although they are applied as therapy within the context of what I've described, um, really are very, very robust. Um, you know, everything from insects to uh, NASA astronauts have experienced applied behavior analysis, um, and so, you know, the fact that these principles work for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities um, shouldn't be seen as limiting. Rather, these things are equally applicable to your to your classroom management, uh, to me getting my son Dean off of his phone so he'll go to sleep at night, um, and these things in general. So, um, you know. Uh, I think that that is another reason that I think it's really important that our program included, uh, you know, uh, just a continuum of faculty experts because there's so many diverse careers and so many diverse areas that we can take applied behavior analysis um, that it's really meaningful that we have these different people who then can mentor in those directions. Super. Well, let's take a final break and we'll be back to wrap up this edition of Live Significantly. How do you want to be remembered? Please consider including Mount St. Mary's in your will or state plan. Remembering the Mount in your plan is easy, qualifies you for membership in our 1808 Society, and will provide opportunities for future students to call the Mount their home. For more information, visit our website at msmary.edu. Welcome back, everyone. Griffin, you've expressed the importance of this kind of research and the impact it has on individuals and a community. Why is it important that we continue research and get more students involved? Specifically, why is our Master of Science in Applied Behavior Analysis program important to our universities and the, and the values we embody as a community? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. So I, th I think we've talked a bit about some of the values that I see as harmonious between uh, our program, uh, the Mount, and you know applied behavior analysis in general. Um, you know, so one is dealing with these problems of social significance, uh, which is the purpose of applied behavior analysis. Really leads people into this life of living significantly by tackling the important issues that we face as a society. Individuals, you know, are prepared to live, be leaders in uh, you know living lives of significance. Um, I also think that um, this idea of we've talked about how there's a need for additional therapists in the state of Maryland uh, to serve these individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And I think this idea of providing those individuals that can then provide uh, help those individuals, you know, really uh, talks to the compassion we have in serving the underserved. Um, and I think that's harmonious across all three of those as well. Um, 
And then I think um, this idea of defining what student success looks like based upon what the student wants to do, where the student wants to take their life, really hits at that idea of this sort of servant leadership model where, uh, you know, uh, we're letting the student tell us where we should go. Um, and then I think by developing these programs at the Mount, I think we strengthen not only the Mount, but the surrounding community. Uh, as I mentioned, there are underserved individuals in our community now. Um, and, you know, provide, having uh, this program here allows us then to provide those services to those individuals and really strengthen our community. Griffin, what has been a, the biggest learning experience for you and why is it so important for yourself and your field of work? Sure. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I've had a number of important experiences uh, in care, mentoring, research and teaching. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I've taken away from that um, and from my studies and from my own personal life is this idea that uh, human experience is really contextual. It's contextual in the sense that what is valuable, what is important, what, what success means, um, what you need to pay attention to on a day-to-day -day basis. Those sorts of things change across the course of your life. The things that we think of as sort of fundamentally us uh, are often the things that, uh, you know, they were fundamentally us when we were 20, but they're not fundamentally us now, right? Um, and we all have sort of unique life experiences. We all come into this world with our own sort of biological, capac biological capacity, our own predispositions to respond in particular ways, uh, but our unique life experiences changes how we respond in different situations. Um, and so I think the thing that that really teaches me is that, you know, um, the way in which you respond today, the way in which a person listening to this podcast responds today is really a culmination of lots of different things coming together, right? Um, and understanding that the way in which you're responding today or the person listening to this podcast is responding today is the function of, you know, these life experiences that have led to this point, uh, I think gives us a lot of compassion. It lets us see that human behavior is not fundamentally of sort of like your character, right? Rather, it is... There, these, there's this whole life history that has led you to respond in this particular way. Um, and I think that that gives you a lot of freedom both to see compassion in other people, but also compassion in yourself, right? Um, and I think that we all, we all I, I think a lot of us struggle with self-compassion. Um, and so being able to see that some decision that you made um, is not fundamentally because you're a bad person, but rather because, you know, life is a series of experiences that leads you to choice points, I think uh, uh, lets you practice self-compassion a little bit easier. Well, Griffin, I've really enjoyed our discussion uh, this morning, as I'm sure our listeners have. Uh, for our, our last uh, question, I, I'd pose to you, do you have any final words of wisdom you'd like to share with our, with our audience? Sure. Uh, so I would say, I would say, keep responding. That was, those would be my words of wisdom. So, so, uh, even talking about myself, right. My path to this podcast interview was not, was not straight. Right. I, I did not decide, you know, 30 years ago that I was going to be, you know, the director of this applied behavior and analytic program. Um, you know, rather it's a winding path and life is full of things that are going to get in your way. Life is full of things where, that you'll be disappointed about. Right. Um, but as long as you keep responding, you'll always be successful and you can go on to live that life of significance. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Griffin, for taking the time to talk with us about how you live a life of significance through hard work, dedication and leadership. Be sure to visit the Mount's website at msmary.edu slash podcast to learn more about how others are living a life of significance. Thank you all and go Mount!